Word of our Lord from the Epistle to the Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now even much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at last, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you, Philippians, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. 
Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray thanking you for your holy word and asking that you would teach us through it. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with joy to overflowing. That you would help us to recognize how blessed we are, but also we pray that you would continue to lead us into the blessed life. Help us to faithfully follow as you lead us. And help us to rejoice all along the way with thanksgiving and by being a generous people. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As we've been discussing for some time now, the Lord Jesus brings us into community because, of course, we were made for community. It's part of our design. Part of His image in us is that we were made for others. We were made to find fulfillment in webs of relationships. In community, His intention for us is not just to be around others, though. There is that. But His intention for us is also so that we might be changed. So that we might be made different. A different kind of people. You remember God's calling to Israel was to be a set-apart people. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. We're called to be different. Not just different from the world. Though surely there's that. But also different from the damage that sin has done to us. You see, God is full of joy in himself. And he made us as an expression of his joy. To be image bearers. To enjoy the relationships that he enjoys throughout eternity. To enjoy relationship with him. And as he creates us in his image, he creates us to also enjoy other relationships with people he's made in his image. And so he's full of joy himself and he creates us as an act or an expression of joy. Like a, an artist painting a beautiful picture. It comes from within the artist. And God creates us from within himself, from, from his from his bounty of joy. And one of the terrible consequences or results of sin is that it has robbed us of that joy. That joy for which and in which we were made. It isolates us from our neighbors as it isolates us from our creator. It isolates us from one another. It pits us against one another. We see one another as competitors, as competing consumers. And it isolates us away from joyful fulfillment, leaving us searching for what might satisfy the longing of our hearts, the deepest longing of our hearts. St. Augustine in his confessions prayed, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, so our hearts remain restless till they find their rest in thee. He made us for himself. 
There's an old uh, band from back when we were kids that sang about a, a God-shaped hole that's in all of us and our restless hearts are searching. One of the things that we see and affirm about what he's doing and what he's up to is that he brings us into community, into relationship with himself and into relationship with his people, the church, in order to make us joyful people, to restore that joy to our lives, to restore that, that, that bounty of gladness. We don't talk about being glad very much anymore. In fact, when somebody sends me a text about an interview that went well or something that's worked out in life and I reply back, I try to reply in sometimes awkward ways just to, you know, kind of jar the, the mental imaginations. And one of the things I like to do is say, I'm very glad for that because it seems like a very unused word, but it's a beautiful word. You know, we, we talked a little bit last week about happiness and so often we misplace happiness and we have a mis, misunderstood idea of what happiness is. But gladness, that's something when we hear that word, we think, well, that's kind of different. So God brings us into community. He brings us into a relationship with himself and he connects us to one another in relationships in the church so that he might make us a glad people, a joyful people, people living the blessed life who've found joy in community together. But one of the ways that he makes us more glad, makes us more joyful, one of the ways that he infuses us with his joy is, that, is by making us a generous people. Now that's interesting. Why would God make us more joyful by making us more generous? Because generous, when we hear of generosity, we think of giving, we think of surrendering, we think of it's, I'm, it's no longer mine, it's now yours. And in our unhappy world, we think that's the opposite of what would make you happy. We're told by television, we're told by Facebook ads, we're told by everything in life, even billboards riding down the road. I've never understood how they have billboards warning you not to be distracted while driving when they're distracting me while driving, trying to figure out what I just missed. But everything in life screams at us that we don't have enough. That what we have isn't good enough, it's not new enough, it's not big enough, it's not bright enough or flashy enough. That if you just had this, if you just had these keys to this house or these keys to this car, they'll even mail you a key and tell you to come down to the dealership to see if it'll fit in the car. They'll give it to you if it does and you know it's not going to fit. But everything in life screams at us because the world screams at us, you don't have enough. Which is telling you, you're not good enough. And even worse than that, God has not been faithful enough. You need to go grab what is yours by right. You need to cling more and grasp more. But quite simply, God is generous. He is self-giving. He is self-surrendering. He is self-forfeiting and even self-sacrificing. He is, he is generosity written large. He is the epitome of generosity. And He is intending to make us like Himself. That image 
of God, which was damaged by the fall, he is desiring to make new. And he says, I make all things new, even your hearts, which have learned to grasp and cling and fight and defend. He wants us to share his character. This is his heart's greatest longing, no more, no less, for us to be like him. Again, the lie of the serpent. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding out on you. He wants us to reflect him to the world, to shine the light of his goodness and his grace out into a dark and joyless world, a world filled with broken and hurting and bitter and angry and unforgiving people who, like us, are longing for true joy. Yes, many of them have forgotten their heart's deepest longing, which is why when something truly joyful in in life, something that brings true and abundant gladness in life, even among lost people, even among people who don't know Christ, even among people perhaps who have put themselves as enemy against Christ, who think that the church is a bad thing, who think that religion is damaging society. When we find joy, when we find true gladness, there's something that springs in our hearts. Something that says, wait a minute, this is what you've been looking for. He wants us to be like him, and this was his plan all along. It was his plan for Israel, which he is fulfilling in and through the life of the church, to be a temple of his holiness. Temple language is not just Old Testament language. Paul calls us a temple. He talks about Christ taking up residence in our hearts, which are a temple, and being among us as a people who are gathered for worship as a temple. We are to be a place where heaven and earth meet. Where, where God and man embrace one another. And he intends for Israel and intends for his church to be a light to the nations. You remember that's where Israel had failed. I called you to be a light to the nations and you have profaned my name. They don't see how different I am. How unlike their gods, the things that they're chasing for power and influence. The things they're chasing for blessing. And hoping that the crops will grow. And all those things. Those things that they're chasing. They think I'm just like those things. Those power sources. Really. Generosity and gratitude. Speak to the nature of grace. It's interesting that in the Greek text. Grace and gift. And thanksgiving and giving. Are all related words. They all share the same root. Because the nature of grace, grace at its very core, is it's not a feeling. It's not just a thought that God has toward us or a decision even that God makes toward us or for us or in our benefit. Grace is an action. It is a step, a movement that God makes toward us. It is when God extends to us His life extends to us of himself. Grace is not some abstract thing. It is God reaching out his hand to us, bringing us in, welcoming us home.
greeting us into his kind of life. And so grace, by its nature, is a gift. It is giving. And the scriptures tell us that we're blessed ourselves to be a blessing. This was God's promise to Abram long ago. I will bless you above all people and make you a blessing to all people. In the classical Greek, grace is pictured as three maidens. Why three maidens, you ask? Good question. Because one maiden is the maiden that gives a gift well. The other maiden is that maiden that receives that gift which is given well. And it takes a third maiden for the gift to be passed along well. And so grace is the picture of giving, giving, receiving, and then also sharing. Generosity is the fruit of our joy. We say we're a joyful people. We say, Lord, make us more joyful. We better get ready to show our joy and strengthen our joy through generosity because generosity is the fruit of joy. But generosity is not just a way to express joy, but it's also a way truly to find joy. It's not just what we do when we found joy, but it's also the path on which we find joy. As crazy as, as it seems, the more generous we become, the more joyful we become. You've been there. You've, you, you remember the, the good feeling deep, deep down in your soul, down in your bones, when you were able to do something for someone that they couldn't do for themselves. Expecting nothing in return. Particularly when they can do nothing in return. As crazy as it seems, the more generous we become, the more joyful we become. But this shouldn't really surprise us at all. Because the more generous we become, the more like God we become. And God is pure and unadulterated, true and endless joy. He is the most joyful person or persons there is or are. We become more like him the more generous we become as a people. Jesus told his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, abide in me, and he went on to tell them to bear much fruit. In fact, he said that the Father's desire, what the Father takes delight in is not that they be fruitful, but that they be very fruitful, that you bear much fruit. Fruit, And he said, this fruitfulness in your life, this abiding in me, this obedience to my word, it comes as a result of you finding your life in me and keeping your life in me, following me. His, his command to the disciples on the night he's betrayed is very similar to his command to them when he first invited them to come along. Follow me. Now he tells them, I'm going away. You abide in me. You've come to follow me. Now you stay put. Stick with me. Find your rest. Find your home 
in me so that you might bear much fruit. And as disciples of Jesus, there are really only a few outward and objective signs of growth in discipleship. Signs of of growth in our faithfulness, growth in our trust in Him, growth in our obedience to Him. And generosity toward the Lord and what He's doing in and through His church is one of those few signs. We see clearly this joyful expression of generosity where, where, the, where people find joy in giving of themselves, especially in the life of the early church. You remember those chapters 2, 3, and 4 of the book of Acts. Chapters 2 and 4 both end with this idea of the church being so extravagant in their love that, they are, that they're meeting daily. And they're also even selling their possessions and property in order to meet the needs of the community. Their, their self-giving is, by today's standards, ludicrous and unwise. Un, you know, to, to be selling what you have so that somebody else can have stuff. To be meeting daily. Don't you have jobs? Don't you have things to do? Of course they had jobs and of course they had things to do. And it tells us that they were even meeting from house to house, breaking bread together. Their joy is is seen all over the page as their generosity and self-giving. Giving of their time and giving of their resources is seen all over the page. And the result of that joyful overflow of, of self-giving the result is overflowing coffers. All the needs of the people are being met. There's none who's left wanting. You know, there'd be no need for government assistance throughout our land if the church would just be faithful across the board. It's, it's, it's said so often that I think it, it falls often on dead ears. It becomes like white noise to us. But truly, if the church would simply follow the commandments of the Lord, then we would have no need. Paul told the Corinthians in his second New Testament epistle to them that God loves a cheerful giver. There's something related in God's heart and in God's mind between giving, which sounds like a, oh boy, really? We're talking about that again. You know, a lot of people avoid church because they're afraid the pastor's going to talk about money. Unfortunately, you were suckered into getting here because you thought you were going to learn about living the blessed life. But living the blessed life is about generosity. It really is. Because God connects giving and generosity to the heart of gladness and joy and cheerfulness. In fact, even the Old Testament, the, 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 the sacrificial system, it was all about a rhythm and a pattern of life that revolved around feasts of celebration. Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets. Tom, you play the trumpet, right? Rick, you've played around the trumpet. He's got a flugelhorn. These feasts were celebrations in the Old Testament. In fact, the, the, the Feast of, first, uh, of Pentecost was also called the Feast of First Fruits, 
where Israel celebrated the first of the harvest, knowing that God had again been faithful. God again had been good on His promise. God again had provided and met the needs of His people. And so they gathered together the first of what they received and burned it up. I mean, the sacrificial system seems very wasteful. Killing and pouring out blood and burning it up and offering this. Of course, the priests would provide for their families as a result of that. That was God's intention. But the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is like, why aren't we like hanging on to these animals and, and whatnot? Well, it's just like, why wouldn't we hang on to the manna that God provided in the wilderness? Because the more you hang on to it, the more toxic it becomes. Not just outwardly, but deep down into the bones of your soul, it becomes toxic to be the type of grasping and gathering and hoarding and hiding person. Jesus said it well, cling to your life and you will lose it. Give it away and you'll find it. Those feasts in the Old Testament were to remind Israel on a constant basis throughout the year. Not just once a year, not just every once in a while when they wanted to, but on a a rhythmic, patterned, mark your calendar basis to remind Israel just Look at how bountifully Yahweh has provided for us. He has redeemed us. He has protected us. He has met our needs. He has been so good to us. But Christians rarely think this way. Instead, we think more like deists, to be honest. And that's one of the toxins of the church today in the West is is a moralistic therapeutic deism. And we'll get into that some other time. But we think an awful lot like deists. And I say that because the way we think of generosity is often in the church much like this. Look at how well I've done for myself. Perhaps I should give a little bit to the Lord. And so we treat tithes and offerings more like tips. And wages. Thank you, Lord. You, 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 you've been all right this week. You know me, I like fun facts, but I want to share with you some not so fun facts this morning. We'll just run through them real quickly and let them sink in for a moment and then we'll, we'll press on. There's somewhere between only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church and do so. Through regular tithing. Three to five percent of church going Americans who give to their local church through regular tithing. Three to five percent. The average donation by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches, this is not a Catholic problem or an Orthodox problem, U.S. Protestant churches, the average donation by adults who go to church, not all, all American adults, but folks who actually go to church, the average gift is $17 a week. 37% of people who attend church every week, every week, and identify themselves as evangelical, these are the Bible believers, people who claim to believe the scriptures, don't give any money to their church. That's 37% who go weekly and say, I am a Bible-believing evangelical, don't give money at all to their church. 17% 
of American families have reduced the amount recently that they give to their church in some way. 7% have dropped regular giving by 20% or more. And so there's no wonder we look to the government for so much help. There's no wonder that churches shut their doors every day of every week. There's no wonder that there's so many among us who suffer and hurt and have no one to care for them other than maybe that government check. So that's what the church looks like. But however, three out of every four people in America, three out of every four, that's 75%, if, if it's been a while since you've done some math, three out of every four people who don't go to church make donations to nonprofit organizations. Now that may be large donations, that may be small donations, that may be Bill and Gloria Gates type. Wait a minute, it's not Bill and Gloria Gates, that's Gaither. Bill Gates and whatever his wife's name is. That may be that type of gift or it may just be $10 to the Red Cross when flooding is happening in India. But three out of every four people who don't go to church make donations charitably to nonprofit organizations. We who call ourselves Christians, if we want to be more joyful people and we want to live more blessed lives, have got to become more generous. Our generosity will lead directly to our blessedness and to our joy in Christ according to the, to the word of the Lord. According to Paul, notice, notice what Paul says. There are a couple of verses in, in that passage from chapter 4 that we read that are so, so often grossly taken out of context. And I like to pick on people who take them out of context, although I won't use any names, and I'm trusting that none of you in here do this. But when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not talking about winning the Super Bowl. And he's not talking about winning the World Series. And I hope, Freddie Freeman can win the World Series this year. You know, he's a good, Bible-believing, Salvation Army Christian. Third-generation Salvationist. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not about our sports endeavors. It's not about what we can do to look good. It's not about the strength and the triumph of the human spirit. Paul says right before that, I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to, to, to eat to my full and to be able to give away used food leftovers and I know what it is to have nothing and to starve and to be without. I know what it is to live in a dorm room and eat ramen every day of the week. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here he's talking about the possibility of doing without some of the luxuries that we enjoy in life. But he's talking about that out of a sense of self-giving and out of a sense of, of rejoicing and gratitude for how good the Lord has been to us as his people. Again, God loves a cheerful giver. But then he says, And my God shall supply all of your need. 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, the context there is key. He is talking about the needs of those who are giving and self-giving in generous, grace-pouring-out type ways. He's talking to people who have just sacrificially provided for him and met his needs. And his confidence is that God will bless such efforts. It's the same confidence that the, the prophet Malachi had in the Old Testament when God said, try me, challenge me, give of your abundance, give of your first, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven but pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. And so we all, with this idea of blessedness and this idea of generosity, I want to challenge all of us to give ourselves generously to the things of God. It's, it's what we see in the movement of worship. As we gather and as we give, we, we, we all give in some way. We take up tithes and offerings, but we give the Lord our worship. We give to one another through His Word. Gathering, giving, and then going as we leave is salt and light. It helps us to remember this, this movement of generosity. We see it in the movement that happens in worship. Gather, give, and go. Be generous in community. Generously gathering together for worship. Generously gathering together to grow together. Generously gathering together to serve together in the body and through the body. Be generous in community by participation within the body. It's what the Hebrews writer challenged us about. Don't forsake the assembly. Generously gather together. Give yourself generously to the things of God. Be generous in community, but also be generous to the community. Again, giving gladly and giving trustingly. You know, one of the reasons why some folks who call themselves Christians don't give to the church is, well, they don't trust how the funds are being spent. Or they want to make sure that, that everything can be itemized and everything can be designated. But when God calls us to give out of generosity, he calls us, yes, he does call us to be particular about some of the things to which we'll give, but he calls us simply to trustingly and faithfully give of, our, of what he has provided to us to the local body and give abundantly. Generosity is not just about checking off the list. It's not just about looking at the budget and saying, okay, I've got, I've got my 10% there, check, that means I'm being generous. Some of us, he's blessed in ways where we can be creative in giving even above, supporting missionaries, supporting specific things that God is doing in and through his church. But God, when he gives his grace to us, notice he doesn't just check off a list. Yep, I've been good to Adam, I've been good to David, I've been good to Lindsay, I've been good to Terry. He, he gives of himself abundantly, gladly. Pouring outingly, if you'll allow me to coin a word. Be generous to the community. 
And lastly, give yourself generously to the things of God and be generous as a community. You know, there's something to be said about people who are simply kind. Who've learned the gift of bearing with one another. Who've learned the gift of giving grace. As we have been given grace. Paul talks elsewhere about forgiving one another the wrongs that have been done to us. But also bearing with one another. And as we are called into community and called into living a blessed and joyful and glad life, one of the ways we do that is by being generous as a community. By living out a tangible incarnational love to one another and to others outside these doors. There's something to be said, not just about kindness, but also about thinking the best of others' motives. You ever sent a text and a couple hours later realize, wait a minute, they haven't responded yet. What in the world's going on? Are they ignoring me? Are they hiding from me? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? We often, uh, it's like we've been trained to think that there's something wrong and we've been trained to think that somebody's upset with us or out to get us. But bearing with one another and thinking the best of one another's motives will go a long way in living as a generous people in community together. Because the world is looking. The world is looking on the church, looking for hope, looking for love, looking for real, tangible, blessed joy. And we show that through tangible, incarnational love. He's called us to be light in the darkness. Despite the unresponsiveness or thanklessness of others. One of the things that uh, Christy and I were talking about this week as we were thinking through ministry at Devereaux and what that's going to look like, one of the things that we thought we probably needed to prep everybody for, and she'll probably go over some of that a little bit in a, in a few minutes with those who are sticking around, is that some of these kids are really, really hurt. Some of these kids are really, really broken. Not irreparably broken, but broken. And when you do something good and loving and kind for someone who's hurt and broken, you don't always get the responsiveness that you're wanting. You know, we want to feel good about ourselves. That's one of the things I appealed to this morning is feeling better about yourself because of your generosity. Sometimes you don't get thanked when you do something out of love for someone else. And God tells us that's okay. You think seven people Seven billion people thank me daily. Living like God, sharing in His character, becoming generous like Him, sometimes mean you will not get the response you are looking for and you will not get the thanks that you are hoping for. And God tells us that's okay. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my life. You'll fit in nicely. Don't let the gift of grace die here. Don't let it die with you. Receive it gratefully and give it away generously. Jesus wants us to bear much fruit. In us bearing much fruit, the Father is glad. 
He delights. You want to live a blessed life? You want to find joy in an unhappy world? Be more generous. Let's pray.